This morning, I'd like to speak to you on the experiences of the Apostle Peter as a fisherman. Now, we look in Matthew chapter 4 and also Mark chapter 1, and we find where the Lord Jesus Christ was walking by the Sea of Galilee. As he walked by, he saw two men who were casting their nets into the sea. One was Andrew, and one was Simon Peter. And he spoke to them, and he said, Come and follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. It says they immediately forsook their nets and followed Jesus. He went a little further, and he saw two more men. He saw James and John, who were brothers. Andrew and Peter were brothers. James and John were brothers. And they were mending their nets. Now, fishermen that fish with a net, professional fishermen, they have to do three things in their nets. They have to cast them, obviously, in an effort to catch the fish. And then in doing that, sometimes the nets get torn. They have to mend their nets. But they also have to wash their nets and clean their nets. And this is what they were doing. They were mending their nets. And the Lord spoke to them and said, Come and follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. And it says they immediately, straightway, which means immediately, forsook their father Zebedee in the ship with his hired servants and followed him. Now, in each of the experiences I want to talk to you about this morning, I want you to see a miracle that takes place. Now, you might think, after I just told you, you might say, well, I didn't see a miracle in that. Well, let's, let's go back over it just a little bit and see if we can't find one, okay? All right, here are four men who are partners, professional fishermen. It's how they make their living. And they work for James and John's father, a man by the name of Zebedee. He has hired servants, so... It seemed like it was a profitable business. And uh, these men are hard workers. Uh, most of the men, or good several of the men that Jesus will call to be apostles, will turn out to be fishermen. And I don't think that's just by chance. You know, fishermen have to be hard workers. Fishermen have to be a people who do not have the mindset of quitting. They have to be... Uh, ready to accept failure as well as success. You don't just catch a net full of fish every time you cast the net out there. Sometimes it comes back empty. So they know something about disappointment. They know something about success. They have to be brave. They have to be courageous. They have to learn the importance of teamwork, working together, cooperating with each other, supporting one another. They realize this can be a dangerous trade as well as strong storms oftentimes would come upon the sea when they were in the midst of trying to catch their fish. That's the kind of men that God wants in his ministry. Men who are just like these fishermen right here. Now they got up that day and they went down to the Sea of Galilee as they did on a daily basis and two of them are casting their net, two are mending their net and this man comes walking by and he says to them, come and follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. There was no hesitation. There was no delay. One didn't say to the other, well, what do you think about that? You know, that's, what, what, a, what a command. Here's the man coming. Now, they had met Jesus before, I'm sure, as you read in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, because Andrew comes to Peter, his brother, and says, we have found the Messiah. 
And when he brought him to Jesus, Jesus said unto him, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. And then he gave him the name of Cephas, which means a stone. So this is a little bit later on. And Jesus comes there. Come follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. They straightway immediately forsook their nets. That's the miracle. Do you see, think that not be a little bit out of the ordinary, strange? If a man come to where you work and said, I want you to quit your job today. I want you to follow me. And I'll make you be this, that, and the other. Do you think you would immediately do that? Do you not think you probably will tell me a little bit more? I need to know more about this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to need a few days to think about this. You present a pretty rosy picture here and everything, but I think I'll need a few days to think about it, a few days to pray about it. Whatever. No, they didn't do any of that. That shows the power of the voice of the man we're talking about. In John chapter 7, verse 46, it says, Never man spake like this man spake. Never. No man ever spake like Jesus spoke. When Jesus got through preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it says they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his teaching. It says, For he taught them as one who had authority, and not like the scribes. Now the scribes were, were writers. They would copy the scriptures. They oftentimes would interpret the scripture, but they worked and they spoke from authority. That authority was God's word. It's the highest level of authority that you have in this world is God's Bible, God's word. So they spake from authority. But the Lord Jesus Christ spake with authority. The Lord Jesus Christ was authority personified. Now, in the 8th chapter of Matthew, you find a centurion. And the centurion had a servant. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier in charge of about 100 men. And he beseeches the Lord Jesus Christ to heal his servant. But he says, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof. He says, I'm a man of authority. He says, like you are. He said, I can say to my servant, go, and he'll go. I can say to my servant, come, and he will come. Whatever I say to my servant, he'll do that because I'm a man of authority. He says, I know all you have to do is speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. Now, what the soldier said, the centurion said, was a great display of authority, but it paled in comparison to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, you don't even have to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. You just speak the word right here, right now, and my servant can be healed. And that's what Jesus did. And then the Lord would go on to say, I've not found so great a faith, no, not in all of Israel. See, the centurion was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He didn't have the benefits that the Jewish people had in that particular day. He didn't have the oracles of God, but he had faith down within his heart. He knew enough about Jesus that he believed that Jesus could heal his servant, and he didn't have to come under his roof to do so. He had that power and that authority. So the Lord Jesus Christ comes walking by the Sea of Galilee. This also shows the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ to call whom he will call. Peter and John and James and Andrew did not go to the Lord. The Lord went to them. They didn't go to the Lord and said, you know, uh, here you got um, a lot going on. I wouldn't mind joining up with you. I wouldn't mind following you. I wouldn't mind being part of your, your band, so to speak. That's not the way it worked. They're minding their own business, going about their fishing business. And the Lord comes walking by and says, come, follow me. And I'll make you come fishers of men. And they immediately straightway forsook their nets. They immediately 
immediately straightway forsook Zebedee and the ship and the hired servants. Now, don't think that James and John were doing their father wrong because he did have hired servants and he had enough men, I'm sure, to carry on the business at least for a while. But they thought the command of Jesus was important enough to obey the command instantly with no delay, no hesitation. I'm telling you, that's a miracle. That just doesn't happen. That's a miracle. Jesus exercised his sovereignty in calling these four men. He could have called four other men. They were not the only fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, but he chose to choose these men. And he always has exercised his authority in calling men in the ministry, calling men to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, the writer says, No man take this honor unto himself, but he that is called as were Aaron. Now he's talking about the priesthood of the Old Testament, and God sovereignly chose Aaron uh, to be the first priest, the Levitical priesthood. But the principle is, God still calls whom he will call. I know I've told you this before, but I was just a young, young boy uh, back in the day, and I was sitting on the back pew. I used to be a back pew attender myself. And I found out they don't sit any better than the front pew does. And in fact, uh, sometimes they sit worse because they get wore out back there. And the front pews never get enough wear to, to wear out. So anyway, but I was a back pew a seater at one time. And I remember hearing Elder J.S. Stevenson, who was getting kind of elderly, preaching. And he says, the Lord may call one of you boys back there to preach one day. It was several of us sitting back there. And I looked to my left, and I looked to my right, and I thought, well, I don't know which one it's going to be. I know which one it ain't going to be. I, I know that. I don't know which one he's going to call, but I know one he's not going to call. At least that's what I thought. Well, it turned out I was one to call, and, and the rest of them, I don't know where they're at. Okay. So God does this on a sovereign basis. Now, that's the miracle. Do you see the miracle? It fits in the category of what I call the overlooked miracles of the Bible. These things just don't happen just don't happen. So let's move over here to his second fishing experience. It's found in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, the Lord comes again to the Sea of Galilee. It's actually referred to as the Lake of Generesset, and that's just another name for Galilee. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. It goes for some different names, but it's all the same body of water. It's the Sea of Galilee. And so he comes there, and there's two ships standing by the lake. But the fish were on out of them and were washing their nets. Now here's the third thing that we mentioned. In Matthew 4, Luke, or Mark 1, we find they were casting their nets, they were mending their nets, and now they are washing their nets. So they have been fishing. The fishing trip is over. They're now washing their nets. There's two ships. As you read the story, you'll find one belonged to Peter and one belonged to James and John. So the Lord comes there. And he tells Peter to do something. Notice this command. He entered one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat out and taught the people out of the ship. He used the ship as his platform. He used the ship as his pulpit, so to speak. He says to Peter, uh, just go out just, just a little. So Peter obeyed what the Lord said and moved it out just a little. Then that made sense. Uh, there was a great crowd of people there that pressed upon him to hear the word of God. So that made sense to the apostle Peter. Keep that in mind. That made sense to him. So he did what the Lord said. Now Peter becomes one of the listeners here. 
He's one of the crowd. He's one of the, uh, the congregation, so to speak, that's on the bank to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ speaks to them for a while. We're not told how long. Then he gives Peter a second commandment. Notice this in verse 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, specifically to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. That word draught means a haul. It means a lot. He says, let your, uh, says, launch out into the deep. Now this did not make sense to Peter. First of all, Jesus Christ was not a fisherman. He was a carpenter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter had expertise. James and John and Andrew, this is what they did for a living. This man is not a fisherman. This man is a carpenter. What does he know about fishing? Well, he knows a lot about everything, right? <laughs> He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything. So the Lord knew all about it. Now, Peter replies like this. He says, Lord, he says, we have toiled all night. Notice the words here. Master, he says to him. Notice the respect he gives to him, the reverence. Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. <laughs> A bust. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, they had fished all night. Peter, no doubt, was tired, weary, and give out. They hadn't caught a thing. His fishing experience and training had taught him that the best time to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee was at nighttime, out, uh, nighttime in shallow water, not daytime in deep water. This is right the opposite of what his training has taught him. He's wore out, he's tired, he's fatigued. All right, now, I've found out in life that I can get wore out and tired and give out doing something I really enjoy doing, it don't seem like it bothers me. You know, yeah, I'm tired, but boy, I had a great time. It was all well worth it. Sometimes we have a three or four day church meeting. When the meeting's over, I know you're tired, you know, but if you're not tired from going to church, you'd just be tired from something else. So I'd rather be tired from going to church and tired from something else, hadn't you? Some people get tired when they do nothing. You ever heard people talk like that? I'm tired of doing nothing. <laughs> they get tired when they don't do anything. Uh, you know, so I'd rather be tired doing something. And I'd rather be tired in doing something in the house of God than I'd rather be tired out mowing grass and trimming shrubbery and everything else. It's just a difference. When you get tired doing things like that, you just sit down and you just, man, am I wore out? I'm glad that's over. When I get tired of going to church, I don't wish it was over. I wish it could continue. It's a different tiredness. It's just different. Peter is wore out. He is tired. He is toiled. That word toiled literally means that. It means to work hard. He's no doubt out of energy. He doesn't understand this commandment, I'm sure. The first commandment made all the sense in the world. The Lord needed a little space for the people, so he gets on the ship. He puts out just a little ways. And he begins to teach the people, teaches them for a while. Then he tells Peter, he says, Now I want you to launch out into the deep, Peter, and let your net down for a draught. What what Peter thought at this moment, I mean, instantly in his mind. And we just fished all night and caught nothing. And now he wants us to launch out into the deep, contrary to my training, my experience. And he said, let the net down for a draw. He didn't just say, let your net down and see what happens. Let your net down and see if you can catch a fish. He says, let it down for a draw. And the word draw, once again, means a haul. 
you anybody say things like, boy, he made a big haul there. <laughs> it means he, he moved a lot of stuff. We made several big hauls recently getting rid of stuff, you know, trying to get from one house to the other. We moved boxes that we moved 10 years ago and had never opened them. But we moved them again on the hope that somewhere along the line, we'll, we'll open them up and see what's in there. <laughs> it just don't make sense sometimes what people do. Now, the Lord here is telling Peter what's going to happen again before it happens. Now, Peter says, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do it. I'll let down the net. Now, that was really smart and wise of Peter to do that, wasn't it? But it shows respect for Jesus as the master. It shows respect for his word. It shows respect for the command and the authority. He's going to submit himself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everything God leads you to do might make sense to you in the beginning. But if you feel like the Lord is leading you in that, then you, you follow him and, and the Lord will take care of it. Just like he's going to take care of it right here. And so he says, nevertheless, I like the word nevertheless. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, you'll find where Timothy has been written to by Paul. Uh, and he's talking about how Hymenaeus and Philetus have been going around saying the resurrection has, gone, has passed already. And it says, Their word doth eat like a canker, like gangrene, and to overthrow the faith of some. But he says, But nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Their false doctrine is not going to take one out of his hand. Their false doctrine is not going to cause him to lose one that the Father gave him in the covenant of grace before time again. Their false teaching is going to be very destructive to the peace of the Lord's people. But nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Nothing can make it unsure. The foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I'm glad to tell you there's never been any question or doubt in God's mind who belongs to him. Now, to hear the doctrines of the denominational world, you might think that. He, he still don't know how many is going to be in heaven. He don't know how large the family or small the family is going to be. He don't, he don't know any of that. It's all, all over with. I'm telling you, it's been sure since time ever began. Nevertheless, at thy word, I guarantee you this. If any of the rest of the disciples said, you know, we didn't catch anything last night. You want to try one more time? He'd have said, no way, Jose. No way. We toiled all night. We fished where we are supposed to fish. We're not going to fish anymore. We're just going to just chalk it up uh, to experience. We're not going to do anymore. That's not what he said. This wasn't Andrew speaking. This wasn't John speaking. It wasn't one of the other disciples speaking. This was the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Nevertheless, at thy word. Always remember that. Nevertheless, at thy word. I'll let down the net. And when they had did this, or when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Where were all those fish during the night? God just moved them away. God just relocated them. <laughs> Jesus knew where they were at. He, Jesus saw to it that this fishing trip that they were on was going to end in failure. But the second part of this fishing trip is going to end in success. 
Jesus knew where the fish were at. The fish were on the command of Christ. You know, when God made man, he gave man dominion over of all creation. But when Adam transgressed God's law, Adam lost that. But in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that was lost in Adam was regained in Christ and then so much more in addition to that. In the very ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he displayed his power and authority over his creation. Remember when Christ told the disciples to go into a city, he said, you'll find an ass, the colt, the fold of an ass tied in a certain place. And he says, when you go get it and they will say unto you, what doest thou? And you say, uh, to them that the Lord hath need of him. Everything the Lord said unto them came to pass exactly like the Lord said. They found the ass, the colt, the fold of an ass, exactly where the Lord said. He was tied exactly where the Lord said. They asked exactly the same question the Lord said they would ask. And they loosed him and they brought him back to Jesus Christ. It was a colt. He'd never been ridden. The Bible teaches us that. But they put the, the blankets on him and Jesus got on him and rode him triumphantly right into the city of Jerusalem because he has dominion over all of his creation. The Lord told the apostle Peter, before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Did that happen? It did. The apostle Peter later on was going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times, but not before the cock crew twice. He denied him three times. And when the cock crew... The Apostle Peter remembered the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the fowls of the air. There's the beast of the field. Here's the fishes of the sea. The Lord has dominion over all of his creation. He just moved those fish to another location. He just relocated the fish to another location. Cast you, go out, launch out into the deep. Now, if Peter had not obeyed the first command... We wouldn't be talking about this miracle right here. He obeyed the first command, which seemed like a small command, an insignificant command, but it was not. It was a step in the right direction. Peter took the small step so he could take the big step. And that's the way it is in life. The Lord will test us oftentimes, see if we're willing to take the small step. Why give us a big step if we're not willing to take the small step? Why do that? If the Lord gives you light, why would he give you more light if you don't use the light he gives you? If the Lord gives you understanding, why would he give you more understanding if you don't use the understanding that he's given you? The Lord leads us along just like the lights on an automobile. If you take a 100-mile trip at night, those lights are not going to shine 100 miles at one time, is it? <laughs> You're not going to see all 100 miles at one time you turn the lights on, but you'll see two or three hundred yards, however much it might be at a time, and as long as the light's out in front of you, you can make the hundred-mile trip, you see, by using the light that God gives you. Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. And there was an astonishment that took place. We see here that Peter and Andrew were quite willing to share in this experience. They called for their partner, come over and help us. And there's so many fish. Now, I want you to know some things about this fishing experience Peter had in contrast to another we want to talk about later on. But here, we don't, we're not told how many fish they caught. It was just a great multitude of fish, so great that the nets break. And they call for reinforcements. And they begin to fill both ships, and the ships begin to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That's the reaction uh, that Peter had. This produced this reaction from this man. It's, it's hard to imagine what Peter may have thought. You know, we fished all night, didn't catch anything. Now the Lord wants us to launch out into the deep, which we did, and we caught this great multitude of fish. Our nets break and our ships are sinking. I mean, it shook him up to the point where he just falls at the feet of Jesus and, asks, and tells Jesus to depart from him. Now, to me, he's just saying, I'm not worthy, O Lord, to be in the presence of such a, such a great God as you are, who just displayed this great power that you just did. He was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now this is the second time that Jesus told them this. Remember the first time? Follow me, I'll make you come fishers of men. He says, From henceforth thou shalt catch men. You're still going to fish, but it's not going to be for fish. It's going to be for men. And when they had brought their ships to land, remember what I read just above there? The ships began to sink. But the Lord stopped it. And they brought the ships to land. They brought them safely to land. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all <laughs> and followed him. They forsook all. It was a lot to forsake, but they forsook it all. They didn't forsake some of it. They forsook it all. And then they followed him. Come over to Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew 17, the end of this chapter, there's a miracle concerning a fishing trip that only involved Peter. Peter lived in Capernaum. He had a house in Capernaum. This was oftentimes referred to as the home base of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter and Je Jesus are there, and Peter has a conversation with some of the Jewish authorities, local Jewish authorities, and they ask him this question. Doth your master pay tribute or not? Now the word for tribute means taxes. And God had established, back in the 30th chapter of Exodus, the Lord Jesus, oh, God had established that the temple the tabernacle, and then later the temple, would be supported by contributions of a half a shekel. And they had carried on down through the generations. So he says, that your master pay tribute. Peter answered quickly. He said, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. The word prevent means to precede. You see this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When Paul said, I'd not have you ignorant, brother, concerning them which shall sleep in Christ, and you sorrow not, even those which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died for us and rose again, even so he shall uh, come with those with him. For Jesus shall ascend with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and they which shall sleep shall rise first, and we which shall lie remain shall not prevent, that is, precede them. They'll come first, we'll join them together, meet the Lord in the air. Before Peter has a chance to tell the Lord what just happened, the Lord cuts him off. The Lord already knew what happened. The Lord knew all about the conversation. He knew they asked Peter this question. He knew what Peter had said. So before Peter can come back and tell the Lord about it, the Lord prevented him. There's the Lord preceded him with this. Notice what he says here. What thinkest thou, Simon? 
of whom do the kings of the earth take tribute, custom or tribute, of their own children or strangers? In other words, in that day, the king, whoever was the king, he didn't collect taxes from his own family. They were exempt. But from everybody else, he did. So Peter has the right answer to this. He said, strangers, Jesus sent him then, are the children free? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was the son of David. David was the most well-known, most successful king who set the standard of what a king should be in Israel's history. He was the son of David. From that point of view, he was exempt. He was also exempt from the standpoint he was the son of God. Being the son of God, God being the king of all creation, the king, uh, the eternal king. From that point of view, he was exempt. But he said, nevertheless, there's that word again, or notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. There's a lesson in this. Lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. This is kind of one of my favorite miracles in the Bible right here in the, in the life of Christ. A lot of unique characteristics about this miracle. First of all, Matthew's the only one that records it. Second of all, it was for one person, one individual, and that's the Apostle Peter. It shows the omniscience of the Lord, his all, having knowledge of all things. It shows, again, his control, his sovereign control over all creation. It's the only miracle in the Bible that involves money. It's the only miracle concerning fish. It deals with just one fish. You know, there's a lot of miracles involve fish. We've already... Look at the one in Luke 5. You got the time when Jesus fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000 with uh, five loaves and two fishes and uh, seven loaves and a, few, and a few fishes. Here we're going to deal with one fish. Now let's think about this just a second. The Sea of Galilee, I believe, is nine miles this way and six miles this way. It's a big body of water. A lot of fish in the Sea of Galilee. But it just happens to be one fish that's got a corn in his mouth. Somebody must have lost the coin in the sea. And this one fish finds that coin. Now, why in the world would a fish be interested in a coin to begin with? Well, I guess it could glitter in one thing or another and attract him. And the fish takes the coin in his mouth, doesn't swallow it, but he doesn't spit it out either. The Lord knows about this fish. He tells Peter to go down to the sea. Now, Peter was a net fisherman, but on this occasion here, he's going to be a hook and line fisherman. The Lord doesn't want Peter to catch a whole net full of fish. He's just interested in Peter catching one fish. And this one fish has found that coin that somebody lost, taken up the coin and retained it. And he comes along right where Peter cast in a hook. What do you think the odds are about that? But under divine control, that fish comes along, sees Peter's hook, and bites Peter's hook at the same time not losing the coin that's in his mouth. He said to Peter, the first fish, put your hook in the water, and the first fish that cometh up will have a coin in its mouth. That coin was a shekel. The tribute money was a half a shekel per person. 
That fish is going to have a shekel in its mouth, and that shekel is going to pay the tribute money for Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ both. Now, this is also the first miracle that we read about, that we actually don't read the results. Can there be any question Peter didn't do that? The Lord told him what was going to happen, told him what to do. I don't have any doubt that Peter did exactly what the Lord said. Now, if the Lord had told me that I could go down to the sea and cast my hook in there and catch a fish with a corn in his mouth, he wouldn't have to tell me twice. <laughs> I'd have to be down there throwing that hook in there, uh, uh, you know, uh, see the reality of what the Lord had just told me to do. But Peter went. I don't have any question, any doubt. Now, that's not recorded that he went, but I have no doubt that he went. And Peter went down there and caught that one fish. Now, no telling how many fish are in that lake. But only one of those fish had taken a coin in its mouth and kept the coin in its mouth, retained the coin in its mouth. Then comes along and sees Peter's hook and bites the hook without losing the coin. Peter draws the fish up. There it is. He opens up his mouth and there's the coin. It's a shekel. What an interesting miracle this is. The Lord by really by custom and culture and everything else, didn't have to pay a tribute tax. But he did, lest the people be offended and people be mistaken about it. So this is the one fish that Peter caught. <laughs> well, actually, he didn't even catch this apart from Christ. I was going to ask you this question this morning, I forgot it. I was going to ask you this question this morning. How many fish do you think Peter caught in all these fishing experiences apart from the Lord? What would be your answer? Now, we're not told when the Lord called them in the Sea of Galilee whether they caught any fish or not. Just as they were casting their net into the sea and they were washing their nets, the Lord said, come follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. They forsook their nets. We're not told whether they caught any fish and didn't catch any fish. In Luke chapter 5, they catch a great multitude of fish. When the net breaks, the ships are going to sink if the Lord didn't intervene. But they caught nothing apart from Christ. They only caught those fish because Christ told them to go where to go and what to do and to catch the fish. Here, the Lord tells Peter to go catch one fish. And Peter goes and catches that one fish. What if the Lord said, Peter, I want you to go down to the lake. There's a fish in that lake. It's got a corn in its mouth. And you may have to fish for a few hours or a few days, but hopefully you'll catch him. I don't think Peter had too much enthusiasm about that. I don't think Peter would have had too much encouragement to go down there and try to catch that fish that way. But the Lord said, the first fish he comes up, the first fish that comes up that you catch, he said, it'll have a corn in its mouth. And you take that corn and you go pay the tribute money for both you and me. Let's go to John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, this is after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been close to 40 days. And during this 40-day period of time, the Lord just appeared and disappeared at will on a regular basis. He's already appeared to his disciples twice. But he's getting ready to appear for the third time in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, you're going to find where the Lord is going to instruct Peter concerning being a fisherman, but also a shepherd. But we restrict our remarks just to being the fisherman. 
On this occasion here by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, the Lord shows himself unto his disciples, and we are told later on this is the third time. But seven of those disciples decided to go fishing. Peter and James and John and Nathaniel and Thomas. Remember them? Remember Thomas is called Didymus? Remember how he wasn't there when the Lord appeared to the disciples the first time? And the disciples said, we have seen him. He said, I will not believe until I have seen the nail prints in his hands and uh, you know, and in his feet, he put my fingers into the nail prints in his hand and, and thrust my hand into his side where the sword pierced his side. He said, I won't believe until I've, I've seen that and done that. Same Thomas. And Nathaniel in chapter 1, where Andrew comes to Nathaniel, when he's under that fig tree, he says, we have found the Messiah. We found the one Moses wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? That was his reply until the Lord come along and spoke his name and he was so astonished that he then confessed that he was the, the son of God and the king of Israel. So Peter says, I go a fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. You know, uh, a, lot, a lot of times there'll be a group of people together and really not knowing what to do, not having anything to do until somebody in the crowd says they're going to do something and the other six says, well, we would just go along with you. And maybe sometimes it's okay. Maybe sometimes it's not okay. Now, Peter had a hard time forsaking this fishing industry, didn't he? He had a hard time about it. He said, I go a fishing. Now, maybe he had bills to pay. He needed to catch some fish. <laughs> I don't know. But the Lord had called him away from that to catch men. I may come fishers of men. He says, I go a fishing, and six other men that was in that group said, we'll go along with you. There's seven of them now that go on this fishing trip. And they're fishing at night, and they caught nothing. <laughs> they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. <laughs> you know, but when you read the Bible, uh, it, you, you have to sometimes kind of think about how they sounded when they spake. Uh, I just got a feeling they said that in a low voice. No. <laughs> you ever, you know, seen a child do something, you get ready to get on to them, and they reply real meek and real low? I think they just said, no. <laughs> he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of that ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Jesus turned failure into success. And you know what the difference was between failure and success? About the width of a ship. They've been fishing on one side of that ship and hadn't caught anything. And the Lord says, catch your net on the right side, the other side, the opposite side. I like to think sometimes this is the right side from the wrong side rather than the right side from the left side. They've been fishing on the wrong side, hadn't caught anything. The Lord says, catch your net on the right side, put it on the other side, and ye shall find. And they caught a great multitude of fish instantly. Why? 
How did all the fish get on one side? I wonder how that happened. Because God, Jesus Christ, has dominion of all his creation. He saw to it they caught nothing that night. They didn't have a chance to catch anything. There wasn't even a possibility they were going to catch anything. The Lord knew they went fishing, and the Lord saw to it that it was going to be a total bust until he come along. Did you caught anything, children? No. Catching it on the right side, and you'll find. The Lord knew where they were at because the Lord relocated them all on the correct side of that ship. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. <laughs> and when Peter heard that, remember the first time in Luke chapter 5? What did Peter do? He fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. But not this time. This time Peter jumps out of the ship into the water and swims straight to Jesus to get there faster than he could have if he'd have stayed with the other disciples in the ship. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but were 200 cubits, about 100 yards, dragging the net with fishes. See, they were not able to pull the, 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 the fish up to begin with. They were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. They couldn't draw it into the ship. So they just had to drag the net and drag the fishes to shore. But in this case, the net didn't break. And this time, we find out there was 153 fish in that net. Now, if I knew what the 153 meant here, I'd tell you. <laughs> but I can't tell you. I just know it was 153. But I know it's got to have a significance of some kind. I just hadn't gotten to the bottom of it yet. But anyway, they caught a great multitude of fish. The net did not break. And we're told it was 153 fish. And Peter jumps out of the ship and swims to shore quickly to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other disciples, they just drag, they drag the fish and the net to shore. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid their own in bread. The Lord already had a meal cooked. The Lord already had some fish. He had some bread. Jesus said, and bring of the fish which you now have caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing it was the Lord. You know, there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. This is one of them times not to speak. <laughs> and it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish like isn't the Lord so good, the Lord so great, the Lord so kind? They went fishing for fish when he'd already told them to follow him, make them become fishers of men. And so he saw to it they caught nothing. Then he saw to it they caught a great multitude of 150 and three, but the net wouldn't break and they dragged it there. When they got there, the Lord already had fish on the coals, fish and bread. He says, just come and die. Come and die. That, that hymn we sing, that'd be a good one to close with, Brother Junior. Come and die. Or just, just come and dine. That's what the Lord says every time we come to this house, like this morning, just, just come and dine. And come and dine on the meal that I have prepared for you. When we are able to take the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, speak for the Word of God, teach the Word of God, preach the Word of God, declare the Word of God, that's just like God laying it all out on the table and saying, little children, just come on, come on and dine. And that's what the Lord did on this occasion. Now, 
How many fish did Peter catch apart from the Lord? <laughs> I believe you all got the answer to that one. <laughs> now, he caught a lot of fish with the help of the Lord, but following the Lord, but he caught zero apart from the Lord. He caught nothing. These experiences that Peter had in fishing for fish are all there for our learning. And you'll find after the crucifixion, resurrection of the Lord Jesus and his ascension, Peter never went fishing for fish again. He did what the Lord called him to do. He became a fisherman of men.